You want to talk about the final chapter? I'll be glad to talk about the final chapter. The final chapter in the life and history and the career of Hulk Hogan. See, because it's over, Hogan. I know it. You know it. Everybody knows it. You had three good years. You can't laugh at that. You were lucky. You made some money. You got a cartoon. You got some dolls. You rode good. You had it good. But you know you can't beat this man. Toughest man in the world. Nobody can beat this man. You think with all that blonde hair and a bunch of little hulksters out there and behind you, you ripping that T-shirt off and shaking in your pythons, you think you can beat him, dummy? It can't be done by you, 10 guys like you, or 100 people like you. This is the next heavyweight champion of the world. Get ready to swallow it, Hogan. It's all over. Andre, what about that that final lesson? You don't understand, do Wait you, dummy? I do the I'll talking. I'll conduct these interviews here if you don't mind. Oh, buy. maybe I will conduct them. How do you like that? And there it is, in this corner with Brian Campbell, looking back on the legacy, the life of Bobby the Brain Heenan, who passed away at the age of 73. Guys, let's get right into this. I don't know, if I look back at my wrestling fandom, if there's one specific voice that had more of an impact on me than the brain. The greatest manager of all time, the greatest announcer of all time, for my money in professional wrestling history, one of the primary soundtracks of my childhood, and one of the reasons why I'm the big wrestling fan that I am today, Bobby the Brain Heenan, just the greatest, and as someone who talks and performs for a living, someone that I've always looked up to, will continue to look up to, Rest in peace to the greatest of all time, Bobby the Brain Heenan. You know, people like the DX crotch chop. They like the Steve Austin middle fingers. For me, it was the finger point to the head. I am smarter than you. I outsmarted you. I did it when I was in middle school, did it when I was in high school, and it was because of the brain. Uh, Most people probably didn't know what it was unless you were a big wrestling fan, but for me, it was always a reference to him, Um, and I'll never forget that. I'll never forget him. Best manager of all time, and you can argue one of the best announcers of all time, among other things. Rest in peace, the brain. Heenan didn't just raise the value of a superstar. He was managing by just having his mouth and his face associated with them. He would take a bump like no other manager I would see and give you that come up and payoff for your baby face. And he may have taught us the most important lesson that took a long many years to figure out. Never trust Terry Bollea. Hit me with my music. This corner with Brian Campbell. This is the professional wrestling edition. Now, me, I am handsome Nick Costos, and I have to tell you, after 10 days in Stamford, Connecticut, leaving South Florida because of Hurricane Irma, I'm well rested. I'm tanned, not because it's sunny in Stamford, Connecticut, but because I went to the tanning salon when I got back on Monday night. And handsome Nick is back in the gym. That's right. All those tweets that you sent me. You didn't really send me that many. It actually really pissed me off. All those Instagram DMs that you sent, I actually didn't get any. Screw all of you. Wishing me the best with my injured neck. So I get the epidural on Monday. A big old needle injected in the neck of Handsome Nick. Handsome Nick is now ready to go clanging and banging back in the gym. And that's very important to the brand of Handsome Nick Costos because, as you know, I am a petty, pathetic, insecure little man and one that you can follow on Instagram 
at the Costos. And as always, I am joined by my tag team partners. First off, he is the great, and I'm saying the great because he has done an unbelievable job because in addition to serving as one of the three co-hosts on In This Corner, he is also in contact with WWE. He's making our great interviews happen, our bonus pod with AJ Styles, our interview later today with Roman Reigns on this episode, arranged by none other than the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Hey now. And as always, I am joined by the man whose name is on the marquee. Come on. He is the icon. Let's go. He is the main event. Bring it. He's the showstopper. My man. He is the whole effing show. One time. He is the bod that runs the pod. Stay hype. He is the mast that guides the cast. Here we go. Damn it. You know his name. He is the Brian Campbell. Oh, yeah. BC, tell him what's on the podcast. If there was ever a time or a week to be part of what is going on with the In This Corner podcast, this is the time. In fact, up there on other podcasts, it might be their time. But down here, it's a different story. Down here, it's our time. It's our time down here. This may be the most exciting week in the brief history of the In This Corner podcast. Nick teased it off the top. Roll up those sleeves. Fill the syringe because it's time to get your weekly dose of that infection that only comes through the big injection, that performance-enhancing audio. Not only will we be looking back on the week that was in WWE and previewing Sunday's absolutely loaded WWE No Mercy card, we have an interview that you can't miss with the big dog himself. Big dog. Roman Reigns will also be fielding your DMs after a two-week break and hitting the network archives as Pay-Per-View Rewind takes you back to the NXT TakeOver Our Evolution 2014. Guys, Neville versus Sane back when... NXT was quite possibly the best thing WWE had going. But if this loaded episode is not enough for you, we've got one more bombshell, and that is later this week, the bonus pod as the Greek and I sit down with the champ that runs the camp, AJ Styles, for an exclusive one-on-one. -on -one. And the Silver King joins me to look back on AJ's incredible debut year with WWE in 2016. Wow, what a time to be alive. So let me pass the mic back over to the most passionate man in North America. A man is so happy to be back living right near the beach. Bye. Handsome Nick. And you know, handsome Nick Costos does not rest in peace. He can stay up. Ball night, a tremendous intro as always from the, the cousin Yuri, the Victor Conti, the King Balco, the first of our performance enhancing audio. His name, his face is on the marquee. He's the Brian Campbell, NBC, we begin the podcast as we do each and every week with the main event. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event of the evening. I, I liked Bruce Buffer better last week than I did this week, but, but we'll move on here. So it's a two-part main event this week, one from Raw, one from SmackDown. Now, BC, a little later our exclusive sit-down with Roman Reigns that we conducted on Monday afternoon, hours before he delivered a scathing promo on John Cena on Monday Night Raw. That was good stuff. This might be the best promo of Roman Reigns' career, and I know that we have preferred the times when he goes short, right? When he came out that time, what was it, after WrestleMania, didn't even say a word, the boos were filing down on him, he had like a three-word promo, and that was it. Yeah, that was great. Some of the short stuff he has done with Cena has been pretty darn good. We watched this week Roman Reigns take a leap. It was similar to the leap 
I thought he did inside the ring in that feud with AJ Styles in 2016, where you just saw him grow to the peak of his profession. Now, he's not the best promo, even with this promo this week, but this was him settling in with a level of confidence and swagger and just delivery that I had not seen before. Did I pop for that Alex Riley message drop? Oh, yeah, that reference. Because, guys, we love this feud because they're taking real shots at each other. And this is something Nick and I ask Roman later in this podcast. You know, it's tough. This is different than normal. You guys are taking real blunt shots at each other, the kind of stuff that fans are talking about on social media, the things that you don't do well is getting exposed. Well, when he drops Alex Riley, takes it to the next level, and then when he finishes with another mic drop moment, I was nothing but fired up. It was tremendous, and I think there are a couple things here. I like the fact that Reigns gets a little more leeway than most of the roster does. So he dropped an S-bomb early in this promo, which is like, you don't normally hear that happen in professional wrestling, not in the year 2017, at least maybe once a year something like that happens. That was noteworthy. Can I say the B-word on a CBS Sports Absolutely. podcast? So Reigns, I like that he keeps calling Cena a bitch. I think that's cool. It's very effective. The crowd pops for it. I love the Alex Riley reference, as you said, BC. And I love the callback to Cena's feud with The Rock, obviously the real-life cousin of Roman Reigns, and sort of playing what Cena said back in 2012 back against him. I thought that was actually fairly brilliant. Now, the one note that I'll have here about Reigns as it concerns this promo in particular, and I'm not going to give away what he talked about in our interview with Roman, which we'll play later in the pod, but you get the sense like he has a lot of respect for John Cena's ability on the microphone. And it just leads me to believe that Joe, who's the real person, Roman Reigns, that who he really is, is probably a little intimidated when he gets out there in the ring with John Cena and has got to go back and forth with this verbal jousting. And him by himself in this forum being able to conduct this without Cena there issuing rebuttals on the spot, calling him out for his zipper busting out or whatever it may be, I think you saw a more comfortable Roman Reigns, a more confident Roman Reigns and a Roman Reigns that absolutely rocked the house on Monday night and delivered what I considered to be the best moment of the week, singularly on WWE television. And that's like they're not they're not leaving any sins undone, like referencing the fact that John Cena, which pretty much everybody agrees. Ryback has talked about it publicly. Alex Riley on this podcast has teased it, but wouldn't go into detail. John Cena basically pushed Alex Riley out the door through backstage politics. The fact that they're going to that level just really adds so much extra ammunition to this feud. I just like it's I could not be more excited about what this could look like Sunday. And we'll get into previewing this. We're just talking about this promo right now, but just at the, the overall level of maturation and how cool Roman Reigns is coming across at this exact moment. Adam, is can, can we basically at this point, are we able to say anyone who's still criticizing him, you're, you're, you, have no, you have no grounds anymore? So I don't know if that's fair because one promo does not a career make. You know, he, he's been bad on the mic. He hasn't been good doing this for a long time. So was he really good on Monday? Absolutely. Look, WWE doesn't do this anymore with Roman Reigns. They don't put him out there by himself because if you do that, it's a sink or swim moment. And too many times in the past... He has sunk. Well, on Monday, he swam. And I think Michael Phelps on Monday. (laughs) He was. And I think this whole feud with Cena, putting it now, not only because it's going up against the NFL, we've discussed all that, and it's a big time of year for them, but it also had to do with getting Roman Reigns ready, promo-wise, 
for the WrestleMania main event, for the stretch towards the end of the year where they need him to be able to swim by himself in the ring, in the center of a raw ring, by, you know, in that big-time moment. I want to read the Alex Riley quote because we referenced it four times, and we didn't actually you know, play it. Do I look like a jacked-up white guy with a giant head and a military crew cut? Nah, if I did, I wouldn't have a career here. You don't believe me? Ask Alex Riley about That's that. That's tremendous. I mean, that is a dagger. And, I mean, you interviewed Alex Riley, BC. How do you think he took that? Well, he made a, a, a sort of a cryptic tweet after that that was a reference to this. I didn't really understand the tweet, but it was his way of saying, like, I hear you. This is going public. You know, this is good. I'm sure he's – I'm sure – because he's wanted to break this story for a while. And every right. interview he does, people are like, hey, what really happened with John Cena? And he's like, you know, I got a bombshell. One day I will deliver it. Well, guess what? You know, Riley's supposedly not the only guy that this has happened to. So I just love how personal we are getting here. This is fantastic. I mean, if Cena doesn't come back and be like, hey, Roman, I'm not the guy that got booed out of the 2015 Rumble, then, you know, that's the only <laughs> jab left uh, unturned at this point. Yeah, so this was an outstanding promo by Roman Reigns. Great job on Monday Night Raw. We will preview his match against John Cena, plus the rest of the No Mercy card moving forward. Plus, we will talk a little bit about Alex Riley as we move forward as well in the pay-per-view rewind section of today's In This Corner with the Brian Campbell. We've got a loaded show, so we're going to move on here to the second part of our double main event. This one emanating from Tuesday's SmackDown. Charlotte Flair returning after the hiatus with the health problems with her father, the nature boy Ric Flair. Now that Rick is doing better, Charlotte returned to SmackDown, thanked the fans for their prayers, and won the main event, a fatal four-way for a title shot at Hell in the Cell against Natalia, Brian, in what I consider to be a pretty damn good television main event. So this match certainly overachieved. I mean, it received this is awesome chance. And I, I'm being really honest, they had a negative feeling and attitude coming into this because before the main event, the first hour and 40 minutes of SmackDown were basically like this. Look at all of this crap in this <laughs> I mean, that. what the heck was Dude, going that is, on that there? Is, that is, you can't play that soundbite enough. It's so it, great. <laughs> and they repaired it a little bit with this main event, and they really teased you to believe that Tamina Snuka was going over. And I like that tease. I wanted that tease to play out. But you know why this gets a positive reaction in the, again, uh, in, the, in the end is because we were supposed to have been here. Charlotte came to SmackDown and was supposed to be the face of the brand. And then we went in all these different directions that made no sense. And we put the belt on Naomi and we did welcoming committee and we did multi-women matches and we went nowhere. And the booking was archaic and the booking stunk. We're finally back on track. And you know what, Natalia? Not that bad in playing the crazy, annoying cat lady. Was it cheesy as heck? Yes. Not that bad in pulling this whole storyline off. And it only would have worked if the match was really good, which it was. And it only would have worked with Charlotte going over to get that division back with some prestige. Now we're going to see these two in a match. And guess what? These two actually do good work in the ring next to each other. They've proven that in the past. I'm a little, little pumped up on where we're heading here with SmackDown women, only because, Nick, it could not be any worse than this. No, and I think that we said, like, before in the lead-up to SummerSlam when Natalya beat Naomi for the Women's Championship, that it makes sense to put the strap on, on Natalya because you have all these good face women on, on SmackDown and you need a good heel champion that they can chase for it. And I think the logical feud was going to be Charlotte and Natalya, right? So now, like, we're building to that. And like you said, Bri, it was sort of was put off because of the unfortunate situation with the Nature Boy Ric Flair, but now we're back on track here. Now what you've got is something that's actually intriguing and something they didn't mention on SmackDown on Tuesday, which is the real possibility of Charlotte beating Natalia at Hell in the Cell 
and then Carmella still has the briefcase, Miss Money in the Bank, and then you could do Carmella Charlotte afterwards. The point being is that now there's some actual intrigue, some actual real, like, what's going to happen with this storyline as a result here? So, so I kind of dug that. I kind of dig the direction of this, and I want to give some props here to Lana, who was awesome in building up Tamina in the interview that superseded this match being put together. I thought that was pretty cool. And yes, yes, the zipper always gets undone for the, uh, for the ravishing <laughs> Russian Lana. Still need her back with Rusev's story for another time, but I thought that this was pretty well done, Silver King on SmackDown. You know, I think they did a lot of things great. And to, to Brian's point and to your point, this was a course correction moment. Like, you have to have those when things are going bad. You have to have a course correction moment, and that's what this was. Carmella not being on the show, that was on purpose because of what Nick said. They want you to forget that Money in the Bank is out there. If we don't see her every single week leading into Hell in a Cell, that only raises the chances of a cash-in or at least a cash-in attempt on the show after Charlotte, in my opinion, wins. I think Natalia or wins, I mean. I think Natalia is a transitional champion. I was really happy that she won it. But, yeah, it's only a one- or two-month thing, and, and it's all going to get corrected. Let me point this out as well. Naomi in that match was fantastic. She was able to fully showcase her athleticism in the perfect spots. Tamina Snuka was fantastic. It's the best she has ever looked in a WWE ring. She got legitimate. Uh, she got the Samoan Jop. Uh, she hit the Superfly Smash. Wait, splash. time out. You got to say, though, when she stands up there for the gym, for the, for the tribute weird. for Father and does that splash, it's so awkwardly yeah. awesome, but, man, is it awkward. And yeah. I also feel like if I were the woman that would be the recipient of the splash, I would be nervous that she was going to break my face. Yeah, I mean, you'd hope she'd have the training from having the career, you know, history with her father and everything, but, yeah, it's that's a dangerous spot for a woman her size. But they were great, and I thought, like you said, Nick, Lana was great, too, so... An entire and package and looked great. An entire package of a match. They took the SmackDown women's division from like the last thing you cared about on that show and they made it relevant again. And that's why that whole thing was important. Very, very good stuff um, from the women on SmackDown. Looking forward to that coming up at Hell in the Cell. Charlotte against Natalia. Now, I was not on last week's show, thanks to Hurricane Irma. Hate you, Irma. And uh, you guys did not answer DMs last week, an abbreviated edition. So our guy, Brian Campbell, his name's on the marquee for a reason. He makes the calls around here. He's got creative control. So, Bri, we are combining Hero or Zero and DMs this week. It is Hero or Zero DMs. Really, like one of like the great like 10, 15 seconds of a song in the in the history of music. So, Silver King, we've got DMs that you will read, and then we will spin them off into hero or zero questions. We please all masters on in this corner. Take it away with number one. Yeah, the pressure's on this week. We're gonna start off with Daniel Greer at Daniel Greer. He made it easy. The Shinsuke Nakamura Maharaja feud needs some serious spicing up. He says. What would you do differently? So, guys, let's answer Daniel's question. But first, give me a hero or zero on the overall feud between these two. BC, let's start with you. Obviously, it's 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 at this point a massive zero in the in the backbone of a feud needs to be what you're seeing in the ring. And you're just not seeing good stuff in the ring. And when you package that together with not seeing anything inventive or new in the promos. And I know they're going in the direction now of the Maharaja and the Singh brothers just laughing at Shinsuke's face and just playing basically the goofy king role. It, it, it's so cheesy. It's going nowhere. So Daniel Greer is right. This needs some serious spicing up. And I don't think he's referencing Curry in this in this case. What it needs 
in the end, right, when you got two guys who can't really talk and one of them can't really wrestle and they don't have good in-ring chemistry, you need violence. But the problem is they're not, and we talked about it before, they're not pushing the Maharaja as a despicable, violent heel. They're p- p- pushing him as a chicken crap heel, not a violent one. And you need violence. And I know that in this day and age, they're not going to send down three Indian guys in head wraps covering their face dressed like ninjas where only their eyes are showing and they've got weapons and they're taking out Nakamura. But you almost need that level of violence to give you a reason to want to see Shinsuke come over the top and win back the belt and, you know, gain back himself until they're willing to do that and push and push Mahal as a legitimate dark heel. It's not going to work. No, and not only does it have, is it not going to work? It's got no chance to work. Like it actually, it can't work. Like this program can't work. Like it's been going on for two months already. It didn't work then. It's not working now for the reasons that Brian gave you. The two don't have good in-ring chemistry, and that's more obviously on Jinder than it is on Shinsuke. Neither guy can really speak that well. I mean, I mean, Jinder is basically like freaking Walter Cronkite compared to Nakamura. There's a language barrier there, obviously. So there's a big-time problem. Brian, you took the words out of my mouth. It needs some violence, and that has been missing. But I will say, and I think that I am in the vast minority here, I laughed my ass off on Tuesday night during Jinder Mahal's promo. And the reason why is because I think, and I said, like, the Singh brothers are so unbelievably funny. Like, when they get out there, the exaggerated laugh that they do when, like, when the face keeps coming up, like, I was actually, like, crying in laughter. I was laughing so hard with anticipation to the point that I didn't want the promo to end where I wanted them to keep showing Shinsuke's face and watch the Singh brothers fall to the mat laughing hysterically. And the other thing that I like that they do is they don't have microphones, right? So you only, like, hear what they say when it's picked up by Jinder's mic. So once in a while, you'll get one of them going, Maharaja, please stop. No more, Maharaja. (laughs) Like, it's too funny. So I actually found it to be pretty funny, not because gender's funny, not because the content's funny, but because they are very funny. Sunil and Samir are hilarious. So they actually, like, I actually liked that promo on SmackDown on Tuesday night. I could do without, like, the Mr. Miyagi, like, like the turning L's into R's, like, the pretty, it's pretty racist, to be honest. Like, I'm shocked that they're getting away with this. I would not think that they would do something like that, but the Singh brothers are making me laugh quite a bit. Both good answers there. I'm giving BC the point because he gave us an actual fix for it, and the and what Daniel wanted to know is how we could spice well, it up. Well, there's so. only one fix, so BC took it. BT, I I would have won if I won first too. By the way, Silver King. Not, our guy Knock needs needs some pegging down here. We love the guy Nakamura, but his talking is somehow getting worse. That was a horrific t- ten second promo he gave with Renee Young this week on SmackDown. Well, he can't speak the language, so I mean, like. They're not really giving him opportunities, and just to clarify... Give him an opportunity to do what? Well, to just to try. I mean, at some point, you got to sink or swim, just like with Roman Reigns. Like, give him 30 seconds, not just 10. Well, you know that, well, let me ask you, Silver you King, when he look, sink or swim in that spot? I don't you know, know that confusing look that the WWE talent have after an interview ends? I think Renee Young was just actually confused this time. After, <laughs> after what Nakamura said. <laughs> All right, let's move on to number two. John Walk at Jaywalk. LNP wants to know... Guys, WWE announced it is bringing back Starcade on the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Cody Rhodes, who's no longer with the company, pointed out that it's an obvious ploy to boost ticket sales for a holiday weekend, a.k.a. house show. The fact that wrestlers never really get a break, WWE should maybe instead be giving them the weekend off after Thanksgiving with their families. And guys, there's actually a lot to unpack here to add to his DM. Let's start with the scheduling. WWE last week announced it is going to have a live Raw on both Christmas and and New Year's Day. So I have a two-part question for you. Here's the first part. Hero or Zero on WWE working all of these holidays, making the talent work all these holidays, 
and not just taping episodes like that we might accept. Nick. So this, there's nuance to this answer. This is not black and white. Do you feel bad on a human level for the human beings that work for WWE that they have to work on these holidays? Of course you do. Everyone wants to be with their family on the holidays. I mean, I work in sports. I haven't had a holiday off in years. Like, I'm going to work every Thanksgiving around every Christmas for the rest of my life, God willing, as long as I'm fortunate enough to be in this position that I'm in. So I can certainly commiserate. But I think here's the thing that everyone needs to think about. WWE, for a lot of fans, is an escape from life, from the troubles of life, whether it's their job or a relationship, something that makes you upset. It's something that you turn to to sort of turn away from the realities that can often be very painful that come with real life. And holidays can be difficult for a lot of people. Maybe you went through a breakup. Maybe you've lost a loved one. And to be able to turn to WWE on a night like that, to be able to escape from those problems, I actually think that it's cool that WWE is doing this. Because ultimately, yes, you feel bad for the performers, but ultimately, this is for the fans. And for fans out there, people that might not have a lot going on in their lives who love professional wrestling and, and it means everything to them, this will mean the world to them that on this holiday that they may otherwise spend alone or otherwise spend upset, that they've got two or three hours on that night where they can say, you know what, Christmas is good, New Year's is good, Thanksgiving is good, etc. Wow. This is zero. And I love Nick's <laughs> I love Nick's doing the Tony Robbins thing and just kind of like lulling us into a state of, wow, you're right, Nick. People do have problems in real life. They can use this show. Yeah, you know what? They can use a tape-delayed version of the show like they do when they go overseas and like they used to do. It's a zero in that regard. I mean, these guys work the worst schedule ever. You hear every single superstar talk about that. I'm just saying, hey, give these guys the holidays off. But let's get more to the meat of this, Adam, the the real part of this question. All right. I I thought my answer was awesome. It was a very good answer. I want to move on also to the fact that WWE is actually bringing back Starcade, albeit for a house show. Here's a little background on, on what's going on here. The event is going to be held in Greensboro, North Carolina, just like all the old, or not all, but most of the old Starcades. The card is stacked. There's two steel cage matches, one of them involving Charlotte Flair, just like Ric Flair used to be in some steel cage matches back in the day. So Cody and his wife called out Michael PSAs for using a pay-per-view created by Dusty and not somehow crediting him or even putting Goldust, even though he's a Raw superstar, on what's a SmackDown card. Hayes responded on Twitter by inviting Cody back to WWE for one night only to team with Goldust. Goldust then, in response to that, challenged the Hardy Boys, who are from North Carolina. So you're talking about a potentially epic match and potentially huge news if Cody actually accepts this. So, Nick, we're going to start with you again. Hero or Zero on the return of Starcade as a non-pay-per-view, non-WWE network event. I mean, how could it be anything but a hero? Like, who wouldn't be enthused by this? Like, who doesn't think that this is pretty cool? I don't even understand, like... How could you, Brian, how could you even say that this is a zero in any sense of the word? I'm going to tell you right now, because this isn't a zero, and I'm not trying to be the, you know, the contrarian here. I'm just saying it like this. I'm a WCW NWA guy to the core. You would think that this is like the ultimate thing for me. But you know why it's not? Because they're dumbing it down as a house show to try to boost ticket sales in a house show region where they're probably not doing well. They're not even making it a network special like they've done sometimes when Lesnar headlined at the Garden or when they went to Japan. They made it, you know, a glorified house show. Remember that roadblock pay-per-view from Toronto where we saw Triple H against Dean Ambrose in 2016? That was an awesome main event. It's not even that. It's a glorified house show. If you were telling me that the news was, which we thought it was because this was a rumor for the last week, that the news was we're adding new pay-per-views and we're bringing back 
back the old WCW names, and it's the Great American Bash, and it's Hog Wild, and BC's going crazy with Eric Bischoff <laughs> on a motorcycle, and it's all the ones we love, Starcade, you know, everything down the road. I would have popped for nostalgia, and I would have told you, go the distance and bring back War Games 2, which we've debated on this show, because they're saying we're going to use the past to make money but not make it feel important, to me, it's a zero. Yeah, but, but like, I love this. Like, we're surprised in the year 2017 that Vince craps all over WCW. Like, what have you expect? Like, did you really expect that they were going to bring Starcade back and actually make Starcade one of the WWE? Not a, not a freaking chance in hell, Brian Campbell. It never would have happened. Like, this is cool for the people in North Carolina. Who really gives a damn otherwise? Like, I'm into it because it's going to get the revenue up for this house show, and good for them for doing it. This was never going to be something that they were going to heavily promote because stock? it's WCW. You're not a stockholder, though. It's like, who cares about the revenue for the house? You'll care about, like... I'm a WWE fan. I want the company to do well. And you know what? And work on every holiday, (laughs) damn it, and you'll like it. (laughs) All right, so Brian gets the first part of this question, the first point, because while Nick gave a very passionate statement and really hit tugged on the heartstrings, BC's right, that also works with a tape show, but Nick easily cleaned up on the second part because Starcade in any form is fantastic. And the fact that they're doing it for fans in North Carolina and that they're doing it in some form is a positive. So we're splitting Don't water that. it down at WWE. I Don't love that. We've, got, we've got Galileo, the mathematician here, giving us half-point answers. No, stuff. no, it's a full-point answer. Right, Don't let's, worry. Let's go to number three. Don't you worry. Here. All right, from WWE Truth Teller at WWE Truth Tell, Dolph Ziggler's new gimmick takes jabs at all the wrestling fans. Am I the only one who sees it? So, guys, we're now... Three weeks into Ziggler's Rodney Dangerfield, I can't get no respect gimmick minus the comedy. Is this a hero or zero, BC? Well, WWE Truth Teller, it's it is taking a jab at wrestling fans. It's taking a jab at our at our patience right now. Okay, and by the way, the <laughs> biggest jab it's taking is to Dolph Ziggler's reputation. We've said now what two or three weeks ago. We're like, you know, this kind of sucks, but it might be a hero if it builds to something awesome. Still waiting on that awesome part. This is a zero because Ziggler is better than this, and it's getting pretty tired seeing him coming out dressed as Triple H and Shawn Michaels, and then in a DX shirt. It's like, didn't you just come out as Triple H and Shawn Michaels? I don't get where we're going here. I'm just going to sit here and babble on how much I didn't like this and how much I'd rather see Dolph Ziggler right now in like Ring of Honor in New Japan and not doing this crap. He's still really good, and he's still young enough where he could actually do something. Somebody DM me. I don't even have the name, and I apologize for that. I should look it up, but they go, why can't you just put Dolph in NXT and let him be the face of that company for a year? Yeah, anything but this. Zero. He's here to bore the crowd. He's here to bore the crowd. Come on, bore the crowd. Uh, it's awful. And you know what else? Like, I've been sort of expecting, and I'm not alone in this because I think other people have said it too. At some point, Bobby Roode's going to interrupt him, and that's going to be the feud, which raises another question. Where the hell has Bobby Roode been? Like, Bobby Roode hasn't been on SmackDown in a couple weeks, right? What the hell's going on with Bobby Roode? When the hell are they going to do something? Like, this wasn't funny the first week that they did it. We're now three weeks into it, and it's the same old tired crap from Dolph Ziggler. It's as if they sat down in a room and said, okay, we've screwed it up with Dolph for five, six years now. How can we make it even worse? I know. Let's not <laughs> accentuate the best thing that he does is in-ring work, and let's accentuate the worst thing that he does, which are his promos. That's really going to get him over. Or you're dumb, and it's not going to work. It hasn't worked, and uh, and it's just been a complete and total disaster, and it's, uh, it's a zero. That's Nick, it. Nick, I'm going to give you the point. I disagree that his promos oh, are bad, though. He repeated my point, comrade. Come on. Uh, no, but there was the, he's the passionate man, and the most passionate man in North America and I, for and a reason. And, and I sang. And he sang. And, 
and he's wearing a medium dress shirt right <laughs> he now. So it is. I got to tell you, it's, it's a tight. little It's a little it's, snug. It's, it's like, a little When you snug. see the buttons pulling, and like, that's a problem right I, there. I, you know what? My guy Paul at Nordstrom, my stylist there, I got to go see Paul this week because I feel like <laughs> the sleeves are a little too long. Paul, normally very good, but I feel like Paul didn't do the good job for me this week. So Nick gets the point. The promos aren't the problem, though. It's the writing, and it, it, it's, it, and it's it, continuing this shirt is problem. snug, right? Like, it's not I'm good. About, I'm about to bust through it. It's really not good. Guys, number four, Scott Sanchez, at Scott Sanch. S-A-N-C-H for anyone that wants to tweet him. It looks like a Bailey heel turn is coming, guys. When she hugged Sasha on Raw, there was a teased Bailey to belly in that hug. So I have a two-part here or a zero here, guys, because I want to make this a seven-answer segment. First, on <laughs> Bailey returning a week before No Mercy and being put into the title match. Nick, here or zero? Um, did that happen? Yeah. She was, but when did that happen? Like a couple segments after she like interrupted that match, they added her to the fatal five. Now it's a fatal five. Well, you know, I was watching my giants on Monday night as well. Of course. So, may, so maybe got distracted. Um, yeah, I kind of like the fact that she's in this match because she's a good worker. And I've actually, as you know, I kind of, you know, came around on Bailey. Um, I, I don't know. I think like she's got like really hot or something. And when I interviewed her in the SummerSlam <laughs> thing, I was like sort of entranced by her. So I'm all in on Bailey at this point. As for a Scott Sanch, Bailey ain't turning heel. You know why? Because it's not in her personality to do it. It's like you say, like the best characters are often extensions of someone's true self. Bailey's true self is who she shows you every Monday night. She sells merchandise to little girls. There ain't no way Bailey's turning heel. Not a better chance Sasha turns heel than Bailey. All right, shout out to Scott Stanch here, who's becoming a regular in our DM segment. The first part here is uh, it's a zero because they wasted her comeback. It shows you they don't care about her. They they said, oh, we're going to be in San Jose, her hometown. Yeah, um, let's dial up a, uh, a a comeback in a situation that really doesn't matter, and, and we hope we'll get a cheap pop from it. That's what it felt like in the end. You mentioned, Nick, you were like, did they announce the match? You want to know why you said that? Because it was like a one-second throw from commercial. Like, hey, by the way, Raw General Manager Kurt Angle has added her to the match. No, this is a zero because they're showing us that they don't care about her even worse than they previously did. They're not even going to set up a, a good moment to bring her back. Now we're just going to add more girls to this matchup. The Second part on a possible heel turn. Sanch, I didn't feel that in the moment, but I will say this. It obviously it doesn't feel likely, just as likely as it doesn't feel like Reigns or Cena is gonna turn heel because Bailey's so entrenched in being a kid-friendly performer. But this might be the only way to explain how badly that they have destroyed her character and how, like I said, they bring her back for really no reason and don't make a big hullaboo about it. Maybe it is a setup for that. That would be the only thing that could fix it at this point. It's just an overall zero with Bailey, and it's only continuing. So BC gets the point for her being added to the match. No reason for that whatsoever. Nick gets the point on the heel turn because, guys, she's a face. There's nothing about her character that would make sense as a heel. We are tied 3-3 going into part seven. Question five, part seven. Hey, so the math is all screwed up. Yeah, guys, try to get him a T-182 you, calculator, try to slide rule, make this, figure this whole thing out. So here's what Brian Owens at Owens11B wants to know. Guys, do you think Triple has an Asian thing. He keeps having them dominate whatever they touch. Asuka, Nakamura, Mae Young Classic winner, Kari Sane, and the kicker. He dated China. Anyway, guys, serious, mm. que serious question here. <laughs> do you think these don't, Asian stars... Don't, don't, don't quit your day job, Brian Owens. Do you guys think this Asian invasion in a very minor, minute way is good for WWE, or do you happen to think that maybe their limited ability to work on the mic is actually a detriment to them being put in these big positions? BC, we're going to start with you. By the way, Brian Owens, I did pop for that awful joke. That's why it's in the DM segment this week, because B. Campbell popped, and well, you know. The Indus Campbell podcast. But I will say this. <laughs> uh, it's a hero that, that Triple H has got an Asian thing right now, and that he's 
promoting the work of these specific unique performers. And it's not, they're not the first Japanese performers to cross over into WWE. And shout out to my guy, Taka Michinoku, my man, who just celebrated his 25th anniversary as a pro wrestler. But yes, limited on the mic for sure, but really unique. I don't have to explain why Asuka and Shinsuke Nakamura are just so incredibly unique that the mic in the language a crossover doesn't matter as much because they're just so unique. And Kyrie saying, you'll have to say at this point, incredibly athletic, but it's just so unbelievably like passionate and, and just jumps off the microphone and just does facial expressions that just show you how much she has inside of there. I'm completely all for it. I think it's a good thing. And I think it's, you know, the kind of thing where for NJPW, for example, to really work and invade the U S they need more U.S.-born or English-speaking guys, right? Like Zack Sabre Jr. or Omega. And at the same at the same point, for WWE to be at its best, you need to be grabbing from all over the globe. Yeah, I don't think that these three that we referenced, Sane, Nakamura, and Asuka, are over because they're Asian or are being given opportunities because they're Asian. I think they're over and being given opportunities because they're awesome, regardless of what color their skin is, what their nationality is. I don't think Triple H has an Asian thing. I think that Triple H has a thing for good performers, and these ones happen to be Asian, so I think it's much ado about nothing. Wow, you guys made it tough because Nick kind of put, put a little damper on it there. But, BC, we're going to give you the point four three victory in Hero or Zero. No surprise. No surprise. Let's be honest. And, Bri, that brings us to, I'm just going to ignore the fact that I lost because they were like, I mean, that, that was basically like carry the one, like multiply it by 15, Pythagorean <laughs> like theorem. rocket jock basketball. You got a 25 yeah, point. Yeah, it was seven points on five I, I, st I start guys. the show Come crediting on. the schmuck with giving us all these great guests, and then he comes out with, you know, with the Pythagorean theorem to judge who wins zero or zero. But seriously, great job by the Silver King with that, and great job by him, Brian, securing this interview with Roman Reigns. Lead us to it. Yeah, we got a chance to really sit down with the big dog Monday, right in the midst, entering this Raw, guys, in one of the best built feuds, uh, honestly, that we've seen in a while. They're calling it a dream match for a reason. This Sunday, WWE No Mercy, 8 p.m. Eastern on the WWE Network in Los Angeles, when we finally see them touch for the first time. Reigns and Cena, let's hear what Roman had to say. Very pleased to welcome in this corner. You want to talk about big names on this podcast? Well, we got the big dog this week, Roman Reigns. It could not be a better time to talk to arguably the, the top superstar in WWE right now. Roman, thanks so much for the time right in the thick of this feud with John Cena. Look, some programs are different than others. What was your reaction when you find out not WrestleMania, not three years from now, right now you're going to business with John Cena? Uh, you know, obviously you have to be excited. You know what I mean? John Cena is probably one of the greatest of all time. You know what I mean? He's a 16-time world, you know. And, um, so anytime you get an opportunity like that, you know you're going to be, you know, you're going to have a heavy spotlight on you, and that's what you want in this business. You want you want to shine. You want to stand out. You want to be a part of something special, and uh, that's what I feel like is going on right now. And I'm I'm pretty pleased with how everything's been going. And, uh, you know, I, I try to take everything as a learning process, and you can learn from anybody and everybody, whether it's, you know, from them doing good or, or them doing bad, whatever it may be. I try to, you know, progress and, and get better every day, and I think I've I've been able to do that, you know, uh, verbally jousting with Cena. So, Roman, we have a, a lot of sound drops that we play on this podcast to liven it up, and one of the 
the best new ones that we have is your big dog line from Raw a couple weeks ago, which was hysterical, had us all laughing, will clearly become a staple of our show moving forward. Was that something that was scripted, something you thought about in advance? Because when I was watching it, I'm thinking that was a bit of improvisational genius from Roman Reigns. Like that was maybe one of the funniest lines I've heard on wrestling in quite some time. Are you talking about my deal? <laughs> I, bu- I, bust- maybe, yeah, I, I, I would say that I'm not talking actually about your deal, but with the, the line that you had about your deal, big dog. Yeah, the, the whole situation of my deal. Uh, <laughs> the funny thing is my zipper literally broke like two minutes before I was walking out. Like usually I do a last minute track, you know, you got boot, I got booze in my nose, uh, you know, any like weird hair conditioner on my ears, uh, is my zipper up. That's one thing. So I, I kind of push, you know, you'll check your zipper and just make sure the little teeth are, you know, in place. I actually pushed right through it. And, you know, the, the actual zipper handle popped off. And once that happens, you're about to go out there in two minutes. You know, it's not like I'm just wearing trunks or something. Like I got blousing straps at the bottom. I, I, I would have to take everything off in order to get new pants on. And, and I'm sure John could have covered probably another 15 minutes of talking for me, but, uh, it was what it was. I had to go out there the way it was. And uh, John being John, he, if anything presents itself, which, you know, I, I feel, uh, you know, it's, it's fair game. It's open game. If it's there, take it. And he did. And luckily I, you know, that, that's one thing, you know, is I, over, over the years of, you know, just going back and forth in locker rooms and stuff. I, I have a quick rebuttal, you know, here and there, especially with little things like that. So it was just something that, Thank God I was ready for it, but I, I really, he shocked me by bringing it up. I thought I had it closed up the whole time, but apparently not. I was, I was peeking at him, I guess. Roman, this is a, a unique feud because you guys haven't put hands on each other, and this thing is so red hot, and you guys go back to the well a few times with sort of these promo, almost rap battles, and each one still coming through as, you know, fresh and unique. How different is it emotionally on the microphone when you're talking about some real stuff back and forth, some insulting stuff that goes outside the bounds of your character, some stuff that, like, your critics on social media are, are trying to sling at you, I'm sure, daily, because that's the, the, the un- unfortunate side of social media. How is that emotionally when you're actually, you know, re- re- you're, you're getting back some of the stuff that's really cutting straight to the heart? You know, for me, it, it's, not, it's not any different emotionally, you know what I mean? I, I like to think if you're going to be in, in the squared circle and, and be a part of sports entertainment, you have to have thick skin. I mean, uh, it's just the way of the business. You know what I mean? Like sometimes it's funny because uh, I heard Fandango say this before uh, and, you know, who, I, who I've been around for a long time. He was one of the top guys of developmental when I first broke in. And he said, you got to be a tough guy, you know, to run around like a sissy in her tight pants. And I, I didn't think about it, but then, you know, it slowly set in, like, you know what, he, he's right, you know, he has thick skin, you know, he, he's willing to do just about anything, he doesn't get embarrassed, he's, he's able to wear the egg on his face and, and be fine with it, because, you know, we obviously all have a passion for this, so if you can't, you know, handle, you know, something as simple, as simple as somebody saying something to you, you know, if you can't handle some words, then you'll never be able to handle the physicality, so for me, it, it was just the process that was mainly different, you know what I mean? It, it's a little weird breaking down that fourth wall, especially like, you know, John Cena's John Cena. That's his real name, you know what I mean? I'm a character, you know, and I, uh, I'd like to think that Joe is a different person than Roman. And, you know, when I come Roman, I go out there, you know, I go through the curtain, you know, I'm in character. Um, 
but sometimes it is a little weird to see that stuff, like you said, you know, people in real life on Twitter, you know, sending out that hate, and then for someone like Cena to use that stuff, it, it, it was a little strange, but it kind of spiced things up, I thought. It, it, it allowed, I think, fans to be part of it, you know what I mean? Almost as if, like, man, they, they know the stuff we're talking about, and they're talking about it. That's cool as hell, man. And it's obviously a different experience, especially for my character, when we're not getting into physicality because the program I just, I'm coming off of being with Braun Strowman, it was a heavy physicality program. Um, so it is nice to be able to switch, the, you know, change gears and, uh, you know, get better at something. And I, I think I've definitely gotten better on the stick, you know, working with John and I have to give him credit to that because like he said, in uh, one of his opening promos is either you step up or step aside. And I remember uh, when I won, uh, superstar of the year a few years ago, I, I said, I don't, I don't care who's at the top. I'm stepping up regardless. It doesn't matter who, what top guy is there, who, who was on top of the mountain. They're going to move when I get there. I'm climbing and I'm still doing that. How close is Joe to Roman, the man Joe that you are to the character Roman Reigns that you play on television? Uh, I think, that, you know, there's a lot of tie-ins, I, I, very close, but it's still, there's a separation, you know what I mean? And, and that's one thing I enjoy, you know, and you, you hear that a lot where, you know, performers can get stuck and start believing it, you know what I mean? And and for me, I just try to stay grounded. And I think that's what helps me is when I'm able to just turn it off and be Joe. Uh, Joe's a dad, you know what I mean? I'm a, a father, a provider, a husband. Um, those are, you know, a very simple man at that too. You know, when I go home, I, I try not to leave my house too often, you know what I mean? I, I just want to be around my loved ones and just rest and, and uh, be with my babies. But, uh, you know, it, it's still a very, you know, tight-knit, you know, connection between Joe and Roman because obviously all the stuff I learned being Joe through physicality and football and sports, I have to transfer over into the character of Roman. But, you know, it's anything we want it to be. It's television. It's It's, you know what I mean? It's entertainment. So... If your brain can think it up, you know, if you want to act like your your arm's a shotgun and, and hit the ground and then, you know, throw a Superman fly, you know what I mean? <laughs> as something as silly as that can can get over, then why not do it? You know, it's really limitless, and it's just all about you doing it. It's putting your mind to it and just do it, because nobody else will do it for you. You just have to do it. Uh, Roman, I'm not going to ask you what it's like when you hear the booze, because I think you get that question all the time. People can Google it if they want your response. You've given it a million times because I feel like wrestling subjective, right? Like someone could boo you. I might disagree, but you can respect their right to boo and cheer whomever they want. The problem that I have with sort of the fans and how the fans, a lot of the fans treat you is the disrespect that I perceive for your in-ring ability. Because I think it's very clear that whether people like your character or not, want to boo or cheer, want to see you win or lose, you have to respect what you, Joe, the man, are able to do there in the ring because you're one of the best in-ring performers, not just in WWE, but the world. Is that something that, forget about the boos, is that something that bothers you when you hear you can't wrestle or get that kind of stuff? Because I think at the heart of it, you have to know how good you actually are in that ring. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, well, I'll just say, no, it doesn't bother me because like you said, you have to believe in yourself. And I know that kind of sounds corny, but like, it's true. You know what I mean? Especially when you have people telling you this and that and critiquing you and telling you what you're not you know, good at and what, what you probably shouldn't be doing. But I know the time I put in, I know the sweat, the blood, even the tears. I, I've cried over this stuff. You know what I mean? And as a grown man, I, I've cried over wrestling before. I'm, I'm 
I'm man enough to say it. Yes, so they've been there. But it means that much to me, and I think that's why, you know, especially my family, we, that's why we're so good at it is because we really care about it, and it's something that we can connect to, you know what I mean? Uh, it's just if you don't have confidence in yourself, you're gonna, it's going to be a terrible time when you walk through that curtain, you know what I mean? So for me, you know, it's been a while since I, I've heard that you can't wrestle chance. It really has been a couple of years. But at the end of the day, if they're making a lot of noise and they're standing up, that means they're interested. That means they're lost in it, and that's all I care about. I, the, the thing for me is I understand what it's like to pay for a ticket to go see a show, to go see a movie, to go, you know, be in Vegas and see a performance. I want them to know that they got their money's worth. That that time that they spent at work busting their ass, you know what I mean, trying to, you know, put food on the table, the roof over, over their kids' heads, to, to be able to be in a situation where they're able to give their kids, you know, three hours of entertainment, I, I feel like it's a small thing for me. Uh, you know, it, it's not asking much to just go out there and kill it. And, and that's what I try to do because I want to give them the show that they deserve, the show that they work for. And whether they're booing me, uh, you know, cheering me, disrespecting me, flipping me off, as long as they're out of their, you know, normal life for that three hours, then I've done my job. Romo, uh, Roman, Romo, wow, to got some football on the brain there, Tony Romo, Roman Reigns. Hey, don't, hey I'm a 49er guy, buddy. Yeah, what am I we'll, trying we'll to do? Romo, I think. Try to step in the big dog's yard here. Sunday, no mercy, 8 p.m. Eastern. We are so fired up for John Cena versus Roman Reigns. How much are you competing with the real John Cena in these promo battles, in the match we're all excited to see? I assume you guys are good friends behind the scenes. How much is this a one-on-one competition when it comes to performance? Well, the performance, um, and I'll be completely honest. I mean, you know, me and John have always been cordial, but I would never say we were close friends by any means. You know, always there's a business respect, but I think that's what makes this so special is that we're not, we're truly competing against each other. And I think people see that. Um, but that's the thing, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like a, a situation where it's, 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 I'm taking anything he says to heart. You know what I mean? Like that, because, because I don't really care what he thinks about me. It does, you know what I mean? Like if you care for somebody and, and they, they hit you with a, you know, uh, they, they knife you, it's going to hurt. It'll hurt your feelings and it, it can depress you. But when you don't really care about somebody or their opinion, it doesn't affect you. And that's how it is with me and John. Uh, can you detail, Roman, you talked about in your last answer how you cried in this business before. When was the last time you cried about something that happened in professional wrestling? I don't know. I, it wasn't a cry. Like, there were no tears after the Taker match, um, but I could feel it inside. Like, there, there was an extreme amount of joy and, and excitement to be in that, you know, position but it was really heavy to where it, it made me feel that type of emotion, but there weren't any tears or anything like that. It's actually funny, but the real time that I've honestly cried was it was just a, a late night with uh, my cousin Jay and I was still in developmental and he was up on the road and he had taken me on. We were hanging out. Um, and at this time I had no money. Uh, you know, he, he was kind of helping me out. You know, he, he's the one that bought the dinner for us and everything. And, um, we we're just sitting there talking and stuff. And you know what I mean? He, he was just kind of laying it out there. And 
and he put me in a situation, you know, he was like, so, you know, if you're about to win this, this and that, or, you know, like, what would you do? And I had no clue what I would do. It was just because I was so green and he was trying to, you know, get me to think on my feet and like, it, it just, you know what I mean? And then he may have said something that like irritated me and it just the whole situation of it, because I didn't, I knew I wasn't ready. I knew I didn't know what to do. And it was so frustrating and I wanted to be, I, you know, I want to be the best. I want to be, you know, the absolute greatest to ever do this. And I had that mindset since day one, you know, since I was, you know, a 200 and, you know, 90, 300 pounder, you know, coming out to try out. I knew after those three days of my tryouts, I had to do this. I have to be the best at this. And like everybody, I think anybody who's attached to anything or a deep passion for it, it can it can strike those nerves and and that night it did and and it was just something as simple as like when how would you win that CW championship heavyweight championship and you know what I mean what would you do you know to to get to that point and you know once you do get there how how would you do it you know tell me that story and I just I didn't I wasn't on that level with them and it, and it kind of broke me down because I felt like I wasn't gonna be able to learn fast enough or become what I should be and what my family needed me to be. And I think the pressure and just the emotion of it made me crack that night, which, hell, man, that was probably six years ago. So it's been quite some time. You know, I, I'm sure that you retained your self-confidence through those moments, Roman, even when it got dark and those types of conversations. And you knew that at the end of the day, you'd probably still make it. But when was the moments in your career that you can actually look back to and say to yourself in your head, the proverbial uh, switch gets flipped and you say to yourself, I'm here. I made it. I'm good enough. I did. Well, yeah, I knew I was good enough, but I didn't even make it at this point. I mean, I was in developmental still. Uh, I was actually wrestling a, a guy named CJ Robinson. We call him Juice. He's out in Japan now, I believe. Um, and I was wrestling him quite a bit. And we were just wrestling a little a little house show in uh, Jacksonville, a little Jacksonville Armory. And it was actually a nice little turnout, a couple hundred people. Um, and the crowd just got with it. You know, it, it was almost like how the crowd reaction is now with me, where it can go, where it'll be doing chants and then like chanting for one guy, chanting for me. Uh, that was all happening in this tiny little armory. And we had just this incredible match, you know what I mean? And, and, and I don't know if it was incredible off of, you know, today's standards of what I'm doing, but in that moment, it felt like we were just tearing it up. And, I still remember this day, like coming through the back and I know Seth, uh, you know, Seth Rollins, he, he was really tight with juice and he was watching the match as well. And, and I could see it in his eyes, you know what I mean? That he had just seen both of us kind of taste it for the first time, you know? So like we, we could kind of understand a little more now, like we were a little bit further along and, and that's when I knew, oh, okay, now the, this is the snowball effect here. We just got to let it roll just keep learning and getting better and better and better because we now we have a foundation. Roman, it's those at the top of any company who set who set a tone, right? Who set a model for everyone else below them. Last week was a monster week on Raw and SmackDown, but that blue brand closed with Mr. McMahon, 72 years old, taking some hellacious bumps, getting busted open. What kind of impact does an immensely awesome and incredibly crazy moment like that have on the rest of the locker room? Well, I think, you know, it's one of those situations where it's, it's a leading by example. You know, when, when you, when you, you see the CEO, you know, your boss out there getting shoot head butted, you know, and, and thrown around at, at his age, that it comes back to that word passion that we talked about. I mean, 
he don't have to be out. Let's be honest. Uh, does he really have to be out there doing that stuff? You know what I mean? Like, and I've been out there and done some physicality with him, but never just a straight. I mean, that, you, it, you can watch that back. There, there's no sports entertainment in that. You know what I mean? Like, there, there, there was nothing cool. There's no way to, like, disguise that or, like, that. you know what I mean? You, Kevin Kale's good, but, I mean, come on now. You know what I mean? He, he's a really good, you know, wrestler, but. If he can somehow work that, you, I, I got to sit him down and talk to him. But um, I just think it, it kind of sets the tone and it, and it makes everybody motivated because I've been out there with the boss. KO's now been out there with the boss. People want to be out there with him, man. It, it says something. It, it, it elevates you. And that's what it's all about is riding this escalator, just continually growing, continually progressing and letting your star rise. And, and sometimes, you know, the boss has to come out and help that uh, situation. But I just think it goes to show that even at, at, at that age, you know, and, and with, you know, any kind of health issues, I mean, I mean, I know he's had hip replacements. I know, hell, like he's had all sorts of different injuries throughout the years, but he still want to go out there. So for me, that's just motivation and, and, you know, inspiration. Roman, we can't wait for it. It's this Sunday night, WWE Network, no mercy. You against John Cena, Braun Strowman, and Brock Lesnar for the Universal Championship. The card is absolutely stacked. Staples Center in Los Angeles. Now, that pay-per-view is going to be awesome. The last big-time pay-per-view was awesome as well. Myself and Brian were there at SummerSlam Barclay Center in Brooklyn. And I'll be honest with you, Roman. I said this on our podcast a couple hours after the show ended. I'm 34 years old, born in 83. No, you're born in 85. I've been watching and going to wrestling events my entire life, 30 years. I have never felt an energy, a live crowd energy, like there was during the fatal four-way main event at SummerSlam, which was maybe the best live match I've ever seen when you factor in you know, the crowd and everything else. It was incredible. Did you get that sense as well during the match? Like, wow, like not only is the match great, but we've got this crowd eating out of the palm of our hands. It really was something special. Yeah, we just had so many great elements. Um, you know, on our side, the performer side, you know, when you have four four individuals, four characters in the ring like that, that it, it's going to have that special feel because you just don't know what you know what what's going to be the specifics. How are these characters going to all align? Uh, what's the story that we want to tell? Um, and then when you add in a crazy crowd like Brooklyn, with that type of energy, that that's what I call main event energy. Every, every every night, you know, before I pray, before I go out, I, I ask God, give me that main event energy. And he gave it to us. And I mean, it was incredible that night. Like you said, you were there. Uh, and I appreciate that, you know, saying it was one of the best, you know, matches you've seen live. And it felt that way. And, and I think that's what makes WWE so special is to be able to build these matchups, whether it's sports entertainment or it's, you know, sports. It, the matchups is what sells stuff to me. And to have four, I mean, you got a guy like Braun Strowman, uh, you know, you, ha you have a guy like Samoa Joe, myself, and then Brock Lesnar all in one ring, one match, that type of weight being thrown around. It, it's almost like watching old school, like Bob Sapp, you know, uh, K1 stuff back in the day. It's just these matchups, are, they're, they're really neat. And I just, I believe in the heavyweight system. I believe, you know, especially in boxing and UFC, business is good when the heavyweights are, are yes. there. And, 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 when they're on top, I think business is driven. And I think right now we have a, a good set of meatballs, all of us. Like the, there's a lot of weight, you know, a lot of big boys around here now. So 
if we can just kind of keep that that energy going, we're going to be good. Roman, as we wind down here, we had AJ Styles on this program for a podcast that's going to run later this week. I told him straight up, that program you two had together last year, completely underrated in feud of the year, match of the year voting, was incredible. He said the second he locked up with you the first time, he knew it was going to be special. Where does that rank when you look back and people ask you, hey, Roman, what's your best match? Where do you feel like you were at the best? Where does that little run with AJ mix in in there? It's, I mean, it's hard for me to, to rank them, you know what I mean? Like, because I have such a deep respect for all the guys that I'm out there with. And then for me to like rank them, it just, I, it would be, I, I, I feel weird about that. But I think both AJ and I know what we had going on. And we can both say it was special. You know, I, I'll wrestle AJ for the rest of my life. I'll go out on limb and say that I, I would have no problems being in that ring with him. If you're like, hey, that's that's the only person you're gonna wrestle, I'd be like, well, well, thank you. That that's easy <laughs> because it really is. I mean, AJ's. If, if you don't know by now, if, if if you didn't know AJ before, you know his coming to the WWE. There's a reason why he's in the WWE. There's a reason why he's used the way he's used. Um, and it was an absolute pleasure to be in the ring with him. It, it was nice, you know, because usually I'm. I'm wrestling these big guys, these big heavyweights, you know, these monsters. And to be able to, you know, show a different pace, tell a different story, you know, bust out a few moves where I can throw a brother around, you know what I mean, opposed to me getting thrown around, that's always nice. So it's uh, it was one of those situations that I, I, I honestly cherish. And I, I'll never forget those matches we had. I thought our chemistry was incredible from day one in the Rumble. Uh, you know what I mean? We had no clue of each other as far as being in that ring and, and, and dancing together, and, and from there on, it, it was magic. And hopefully one day we'll be able to do it again. You know, he's over there on the blue side holding it down, and, and that's important. We need guys, you know, with his leadership, with his tenure, guys who have been around the world and have a deep respect for this business. And like like we like we talked about before, that passion, you you can't fake that. You know what I mean? Like, especially in a job where you're getting thrown around and you, you're pretty much in a car wreck every night, you, you can't fake this. Well, Roman Reigns, we can't wait to see what happens next Sunday night. No Mercy, Staples Center in Los Angeles, 8 p.m. Eastern on the WWE Network when it's Roman Reigns versus John Cena. Roman, thanks so Big much dog. so much for the time. We have no doubt that you will, in fact, bust it again. Big dog. <laughs> thanks for having me, guys. I'm doing a, a heavy-duty uh, zipper uh, for No Mercy. We're only one big dog's coming out that night, and uh, he's coming to fight and win. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. But yeah, let, let's keep the zipper closed and no more malfunctions because that could have been quite embarrassing. Great stuff. Thanks so much, Roman. You know, to me, the most interesting part of that Reigns interview, and there were a lot of interesting nuggets because he really gave us some great stuff, gave us some long answers, some really insightful answers. Sort of his relationship with Cena, that it's cordial. And they respect each other. But you get the sense. And, and look, I don't think it's a big deal. Like, I, I work with people that I don't really like. It doesn't make a difference. It doesn't mean you guys can't work well together. I get the sense that Roman doesn't really like. Like, like Joe, the real human being, I don't think necessarily likes John Cena, the human being. I picked up on that same feeling. You know, I sort of stuttered and was like, well, I'm, I, I assume you guys are good friends. And that fact that he goes out of his way to tell me, like, well, you know, we're not really that close. That only add, whether that's planned or not, or that's real life, that only adds to the idea of how good these shoot promos have been back and forth, you know. And then to see Roman really break down, 
you know, what makes them so good in the ring together to really put over how much that AJ Styles feud meant to him and his growth. This was, you know, one of the best interviews I've heard. I'm, you know, credit, shout out to WWE for hooking this up. It's one of the best interviews with Roman I've heard, and it shows at how much he's grown in, the, in this side, which is, a, you know, if you're going to be the face of WWE, this is also a big part of carrying that burden. And, and it was great to hear Roman go so deep on so many topics. Yeah, and Roman talking about sort of his trek to WWE and the moments where he was doubting himself. Silver King, I think that hit a chord with you, and that's something that you enjoyed listening to. Yeah, I really did. I just, uh, he was so thoughtful the entire time. You know, a lot of times when you interview someone, you're hoping, oh, you know, I want to ask 30 questions and I want to get every single thing I've ever wanted to know about them into an interview. And we didn't get to do that here. But the reason why is he was giving us such great, thorough answers for the really solid questions that both you, Nick, and UBC asked. And I think if you're going to have a guy like that who can speak that well, it just shows you that there's an intelligence there. There's a, an understanding of oneself there. And he may not be so quick on his feet, which might be the promo issue, but the guy knows what he's doing. He understands the position he's in. And I was just impressed top to bottom with basically everything he said in that interview. You know, I was going to ask him, and I'd like to ask this question to pretty much anyone that I talk to, whether it's an athlete, a wrestler, who's in the public eye. Like, what's it like for you when, like, you go out to, like, to get something to eat? Like, he gets, probably gets recognized all the time, right? Like, what's that like? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, all these guys that you watch on TV, they're just like us. They're human beings. They just happen to be blessed with this extraordinary ability and have this platform and be known by people, nation, and in the case of WWE superstars, worldwide. And the sense that I got from Roman Reigns is he doesn't care for any of that stuff at all. He just wants to go home and disconnect and be with his family. And I find that to be really interesting for a handsome, strapping young guy that could have the world by the proverbial balls if he wanted it. And BC, it seems clear as day to me, he's just not interested. And I think that's pretty cool. It could be the fact that he came up in the business. And I think that that's a big part of what makes him so good. There's, you know, there's, there's advantages that you almost can't even pinpoint, right? Like if you grow up and your dad runs a store, you've got some business uh, strategy and ability and you naturally just hand it down from seeing stuff like that happen. And certainly this family, right? Like forget the rock, remove the rock from the equation. You know what I mean? Just the fact his dad was from part of the wild Samoans that he's cousins with everyone from Yokozuna to the, to the Usos to the fact that his own brother, Rosie RIP was also involved in WWE. It's sort of like that just builds in a thing. that's like, this is what we do, right? Nick, you know, you, you swiping, right. It's just what you do, you know? And with Roman Reigns, hey, there's, there's no pressure. There's no chasing the stardom. This is what he does and it was cool to see that it was also cool to to hear him talk about his junk nick when you pressed him about it and know? uh how funny was that by the way like <laughs> Ro and roman going back to it at the very end roman accusing me hey are you talking about my junk i was like roman well, I'm not talking about your junk. I'm talking about the situation around your junk, like the situation that developed on Raw. But that was very funny. Reigns with a good sense of humor. And as we said, uh, this month, this Sunday night, 8 p.m., WWE Network, No Mercy from the Staples Center in Los Angeles. You're probably thinking, wow, they're promoting it a lot. Yeah, because WWE gave us Roman Reigns. So you're damn right we're going to promote their pay-per-view coming up on Sunday night. So we'll preview Reigns Cena. We'll preview Lesnar Strowman. But let's go up and down the card here, No Mercy Sunday night, and let's start. BC, give us a little bit on the cruiserweight title match, Neville defending against Enzo Amore. More interested in this than I should. We've talked in recent weeks about what Enzo is adding to 205 Live. It's a tough equation, though, because for him to come from getting destroyed by Cass and being a laughingstock of Raw to now being in a spot where we have to believe him as a believable title contender while sort of taking the rest of the division and just stiff-arming them and saying that they don't matter, there is some casualties when you do that. But it's raising the rent of 205 Live, and Enzo's lived up to it. They put across the fact that he'll cheat to win. He'll do anything to get to where he is in the spot. Interested to see whether they can have a match 
that has rivaled how good they have been trading insults in the buildup. Yeah, I, I think you just actually nailed it, exactly what I was going to say. I'm kind of into this just to see how it ends. It, will Enzo cheat to win? Because Neville's the heel here. Enzo's supposedly the face. How's it going to turn out? I'd like to see Neville go over and win because oh. I like Neville as the cruiser. Or champion, will they just right? put the belt on Amore and say, screw the integrity of this, this show and this division? <laughs> we want the guy who pops with the belt. That's kind of really what I'm most intrigued to see what happens is is how, you know, what, what does this mean for 205 Live? How much are they really to just jump in and say, hey, I know we crapped on Enzo, but now we really care about him again. You just sold the hell out of that. And by the way, no mercy, WWE Network this <laughs> Sunday night, 8 p.m. from Staples Center in L.A. Bry, next up, it's a SummerSlam rematch. Finn Balor, not as the demon, but as Finn Balor against Bray Wyatt. Even though they completely stole the plotline from the movie Teen Wolf here to build up this man versus man, right? Like, like, like Michael Jake Fox saying, I don't need the wolf to win the championship game, right? I love this, okay? I love the potential of the two sort of dark characters here with their connections to so you know spirituality and the in the supernatural here in the fact that I think it can turn into an interesting end if the story is written well. So far, they've teased it up really good. Bray Wyatt, not giving you great matches, okay? As much as I try to say he's not being used right, and as much as I'm on that side that's saying, you know, he can give you so much more. Not the best in the ring, but I think that Finn is the perfect guy to bounce and bump off of him that this could be the sleeper of the card. I mean, this is a loaded card, guys. It's so top-heavy. There's so... I mean, this is basically like an A-level pay-per-view when it's really like an in-between one after SummerSlam. But this specific match has got me fired up because I want to see man versus man. Does this leave Finn Balor weak in this match, Silver King? Because he's not channeling the Dark Demon character where maybe he'll be so weak that he'll succumb to the seduction what of the, Bray Wyatt. What the hell are you talking dark about, man? Side. Like, what the, what, what is this, the plot of the new Stephen King movie? Like, it's professional wrestling. It's so freaking stupid. Like, this feud should have ended at SummerSlam. Like, that, that's my answer. I, I don't really even have a response to it. I think he doesn't have the demon, so he loses, and then they have to fight a third time, and then he beats him, and he finally gets over winning without the demon. But that's a storyline you say for, like, the when you go up against The Undertaker or, like, Roman Reigns and you're fighting for the title. You don't do it with Bray Wyatt in the middle of the season, of the year. It's just it's ridiculous. You know when Sorry, you do that? You do this in Game of Thrones Season 7, not, <laughs> not, not for WWE. And by the way, forget Teen Wolf. That's basically the plot of Empire Strikes Back that I just, that I just unloaded yes, on you. Yes, except right Empire Strikes Back is great, and this is garbage. Uh, the Intercontinental Championship match hopefully will not be garbage. And we must say here, because we didn't talk about it yet, I thought The Miz was fantastic on Monday night. I'm not a huge fan of The Miz calling Jason Jordan a bastard, because I feel like there are probably kids out there watching who may be in that situation. They're like, ugh, like, I don't know. I feel like that they took it a little too far, me personally saying a couple things this week, but that's neither here nor or there, it'll be the Miz defending against Kurt Angle's storyline son, Jason Jordan. Jordan winning a match to end Monday Night Raw. Brian Campbell to claim the number one contendership. Even though it was predictable that Jordan ended up going over, and even though they went back to the well a second time to have a multi-person match to produce an opponent for the Miz, the first time around, of course, it was Jeff Hardy. I thought it was handled well because of the little tiny nuances to the story. They're starting to give you more teases, right? Remember originally when Jordan joined Engel's family, there was the tease that he's so aggressive in the ring, a heel turn is coming, right? There's tension coming. You saw some of that, but you also saw for the first time father and son having tension about the fact that that ankle wasn't there and that there's talk in the locker room that Jordan's only getting this push because of nepotism. The Miz is obviously the the glue that's that's keeping that storyline together with his hilarious comments constantly about I'm already the you know a better father Kurt than you'll ever be like all that stuff's great. 
But the tension there between father and son, that was a key moment after that opening main event segment when they were in the locker room. And Kurt gave like a, a fatherly speech to Jason Jordan saying, look, you got to control your temper. Sometimes the best way to win a fight is not to fight. It's to, you know, it's to have an even keel and emotions. And I feel like you saw the first stretch of a tease where we're waiting all along to kind of see what happens with this angle Jordan feud and where it goes. I got the first tease that the angle Jordan feud ends with angle and Jordan in the ring against each other wow. because Jordan's like, I don't need to be in your shadow, dad. And yeah, I am going heel and you were never there for me to begin with. So let's settle it in the ring. And I got fired up for this. So I now have higher expectations on where this match and where this feud is going. Yeah, I think we've seen some really good in-ring work from Jason Jordan recently. I'm cautiously optimistic that this will be pretty good on Sunday night. And again, I just want to, because, Bri, you nailed a lot of the Jason Jordan stuff. Again, spotlight rightfully on The Miz. His promo work has ascended to a new level of rarefied air recently. We can go back to the Cena-Roman Reigns stuff about a month ago when those two first got in the ring, and he has just been sensational. He's awesome, and he has made me care about a feud that I probably would otherwise have not cared about. And he's not shooting blanks. I mean, really. I busted it, actually. Big dog. You know, congratulations <laughs> on him and Maurice having a child, you know? Yeah, you know, I think um, I just really like Kurt Angle's role in this, too. Like, everything with Angle and Jason Jordan together, I bought just like BC did. I'm a little curious, BC, about your prediction for this because I haven't made mine yet, and we're going to have our predictions post on CBSSports.com that people will be able to read. But I see it going both ways. I can see Jason Jordan winning this title with Kurt Angle's help and then being mad that Kurt Angle helped him because he can do it on his own and so on and so forth. And then I also can see The Miz just winning and kind of continuing past it and Jordan being upset either that Angle interfered or that he wasn't there for him when maybe The Miz Tourage was. And be sure to check out CBSSports.com for those predictions. That's what we call in the industry a professional tease. Next up, Tag Team Championship match, Ambrose and Rollins defending Bry against Sheamus and Cesaro. I'm sorry. I love Ambrose and Rollins with the belt. I love the matches that they had before they won the belt with Sheamus and Cesaro, but they have now lost me. We have, we've had too many eight-man tags. We'd have too many these guys are going to go single against each other in the same night. Guys, I don't care at this point. All I know is I want the belts on Ambrose and Rollins still. It makes no sense for them to give him up, but they really haven't done anything with this feud to make me care about it. Um, I love Sheamus and Cesaro with their new look that they had in the ring with those jackets, with the patches. Here's the issue I have. You listen to our SummerSlam bonus episode pod with all those um, interviews that we did on the red carpet. You had Sheamus and Cesaro unfiltered without a script, riffing for 10 or 15 minutes off of each other, extremely entertaining fashion. Just give these guys a microphone and let them go out there and do their thing. Like, stop scripting promos here because I think that these two are really good. I'm with you, Bri. Give Sheamus and Cesaro the belts back. Let them have another run with it here. I'm over Rollins and Ambrose for now with the Tag Team Championships. Next up, it's the Women's Fatal Five-Way. Alexa Bliss defending against Sasha Banks, Nia Jax, Bailey, and Emma. I don't know where we're going with this, and I guess that's a good thing. So this match I'm actually intrigued by. I originally liked you know, the addition of Jax and Emma to give it, to give it an extra feel. I don't know what Bailey's addition means, though. I think it just muddies the water. I don't know the, the exact direction. They ruined what we thought was the perfect stretch. Put the belt on Banks at SummerSlam and let her have the, the, the reign that we finally wanted. Now there's too many question marks. Sometimes when there's too many question marks in WWE, the status quo stays the same because they've blinded you 
to the fact that the champion's going to retain by adding so many extra things to the match, right? Just like the fatal four-way main event at SummerSlam. We, we, we talked ourselves into believing anyone but Brock would win the belt, and then luckily we were smart enough, you know, that week to go, wait, I think Brock's going to come out with the belt. And in that setup, I think Bliss is going to stay with the belt here. So for me, I think Nia Jax is winning the title, and I think that's why Emma's in the match, because it gives her someone to pin without pinning the champion. I think where the business is going to go here is Nia Jax and uh, Alexa Bliss, because she's going to need her rematch, and you can stretch that out for a couple months. And then I think you have Bailey potentially costing Sasha Banks the title, and you get a program with them too, whether it's one of them turns, turns heel, or there's just friends that have animosity and feuding. So I think you all of a sudden get two big feuds out of one match with five women. I still think they, that they, where they, they're they going They've burned the belt, yeah. though. They've watered the belt down. The belt doesn't is meaningless now if they're going to keep passing it around. Well, you know that. I, I think they're setting up to for Bliss Jacks as a singles match, so I think Bliss retains here, and dastardly fashion, and then we get Alexa Bliss against Nia Jax coming up later in the year on pay-per-view. All right, now we've reached the outstanding double-made event of No Mercy. Let's begin Brian Campbell, John Cena, and Roman Reigns. Fire it up in the purest possible way to just see what it looks like to see these two guys in the ring against each other. Uh, it all depends how good of a match we're going to have. If this is like some kind of one-off and then there's a pause, meaning Cena goes away for a movie or, you know, we don't really know his schedule right now at this point, then this could be a really good match or it could be a soft launch where, you know, you have a three and a half, four-star match with, with hope for the future. That's what I'm just as intrigued to find out. I want to find out who wins. I also want to find out, are we headed down a road where this could be a three, four-month, six-month feud, right? And it could really keep putting on big matches. I think, though... It's like, you know, your, your gut tells you it's time for Reigns to go over, but your gut also tells you it's not time to do that on, in September at no mercy. It doesn't make any sense. I still feel like there's there could be some hijinks here where Cena can can win this or there can be a non-finish. I feel that more than I feel a clean Reigns victory that says something, that says I am handing the baton to you. I do not think we will get that on Sunday night. So because of that, I have to predict Cena without really knowing what it's going to look like. There has to be one finish and one finish only to this match. John Cena must win. John Cena must win clean. Because you need to turn Roman Reigns into something of a sympathetic figure to get the crowd behind him. I said it the first night that these two had that promo on Raw, that that's where this was going. It's the only logical ending to this match. Cena should win. Cena must win. It's the only way that you could potentially save Roman Reigns. Yeah, I completely agree. Cena has to win this, and Reigns has two options at that point. He either goes crazy and either turns heel or just gets aggressive and gets upset and pissed off, or he gets into a depression and everyone feels bad for him and you go that way. So I think no matter which direction they go, the emphasis is on doing something with Roman Reigns, but the only way you can actually do something with Roman Reigns is for him to actually lose in this scenario. So agree with both you guys. And we close with the Universal Championship match. It is the Beast against the Monster, Brock Lesnar and Braun Strowman. Such such a great promise for violence here. I mean, this is this is just getting you so fired up. The more I think about it, I sort of teased an idea uh, uh, of what I thought, right? That you can take the the title off of Brock, allow him to take a couple months off because that's what his his part time schedule is, without hurting his brand, right? You can just have Braun be so vicious that he uses a weapon, and you're just sort of like, wow, you know, Bron Brock suffers a kayfabe injury, and wow, you know, it's time. The more I think about it, though. Might be time to just put Braun over clean. Might be time to just give him the belt and ride out this fall season against the NFL 
with Braun Strowman there every week as your champion and find out how good his brand really is. And there's no shortage, by the way, of really fun names that you can feud opposite Braun for a while. We're tired of Reigns right now, but what about a guy like Balor? I mean, there's there's no shortage of things you can do. I think it's time. Give it to Braun. Give it kind of clean. You know, I don't want to see a repeat of the Goldberg squash match finish where you go, oh, my God, he's got his number. Brock might not be as good, but I want Braun with the belt now where normally I'm a Lesnar protector, right? That's why I concoct that scenario where he's injured. He didn't really lose. No, you can lose now. The only the only thing that I don't want to see happen, I'm okay with literally any other outcome other than Brock Lesnar winning clean. That is the one thing that absolutely cannot happen because it stops the Braun Strowman train in its tracks, and that cannot happen. Braun is too important. He's too over. He's too good, quite frankly, to lose clean to Brock Lesnar here. So you want to do a screw job and Lesnar retains? I'm okay with it. You want to put Braun over Brock and give Braun the strap? I'm okay with it. The one thing that you can't do is job Braun Strowman out clean to Brock Lesnar. That would be an absolute unmitigated disaster. So... Both of you are right again. I think with Nick, he, I mean, he makes a really good point. What I would love to see happen is for Braun Strowman to win clean like you said, BC, and then have Lesnar you know, get hurt. He's out for two months, comes back and reclaims it, gets over on Braun, and then he takes it into WrestleMania. You can still have the same program with Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. But guys, we just saw Canelo Triple G last weekend. What's going to happen it's going to be a draw. It's going to be a double countout. It's going to be both guys can't continue because they've actually absolutely destroyed each other. The business is always in the rematch. They proved it in boxing one week ago, and they're going to prove it again in WWE on Sunday. I can't wait for it. No mercy. 8 p.m. Sunday night. WWE Network. Make sure you watch it and hope you enjoyed our, our interview with Roman Reigns. That brings us to the next part of our show, Brian Campbell, where we rewind with the old pay-per-view. Bry, get us right into it. Your pick for this week and why you chose it. I went, took you back in the archives here to NXT TakeOver. Our Evolution, kind of an awkward title when pressed together. It looks like Revolution, December 2014 at the Full Sail Arena in Orlando. I also had you do a little bit of extra homework on this, which was watching the opening match, a squash match. Kevin Owens defeated CJ Parker. We know him now as Juice Robinson in Japan. There's a reason why I did this, but let's talk about history here. This was Kevin Owens' first appearance in a WWE ring, coming off of that incredible run in Ring of Honor as Kevin Steen being such a dastardly heel guys the pop for his theme song in his debut was absolutely massive he goes on to kick the crap out of cj parker with such manic energy and pace that Corey graves in his uh, in his own debut night as an announcer goes that might be the most intense few seconds that i've ever seen to start a wwe career did you guys see the absurd topi Kanhilo that owens hit where i, th- never, where I thought he broke his collar like he broke his cock kicks doing that to be honest We've seen graceful ones like Sami Zayn and Finn Balor do artist, or artistry ones, right? We've seen 205 Live guys do it beautifully. He hit the ground so hard like a cannonball. Then he gets up, raises his arms like he's on a cross, looks at the video screen and goes, this is just the beginning. Like, have you ever seen somebody more ready to enter a territory and own it? It was like a holy crap moment. Absolutely. So guess what? He blows away CJ Parker. But something happened at the end of that match. I don't know if it wasn't planned. Did you see that? 
palm strike to the nose that CJ Parker that hit. That busted him open. That essentially broke Owen's nose and busted it wide open. Vicious palm strike. Looked really reckless. Also looks like it might have been planned. KO smears the blood across his face like a psychopath. <laughs> Does a sadistic grin. Gives the finishing move. Walking out. Walks out of the ring. I have chills in that moment. Better, come on, Nick. Better, better debut you've ever seen. I mean, it's one of the better ones I've ever seen for sure, and it was awesome. And it just goes to show what a great performer Kevin Owens is. And I literally thought he broke his cockix, like for legitimately when he did that Topi con Hilo. Um, amazing energy. To your point, and again, this sort of, I was going to say this when we talked about the actual main event, it's sort of funny that Corey Graves, how far he's come from then to now, that he opened up the card by saying, like, four times in four different ways, I'm so excited to be here. This is the most <laughs> excited I've ever been. I can't believe how excited I am. He has come so far as an announcer. I think he's the best in the world today right now, and he was not good in that. In that. Of course, it's his debut. I'm not banging on the guy. It's, it's hard to be great when you're doing it for the first time, but I thought that that was fairly noteworthy as well. And by the way, I love the moral Ronaldo Corey Graves NXT team they had for a while. That's the best ever, but this Rich Brennan, Alex Riley, Corey Graves triple trio, not bad right there. Like, like that was a memorable run. All right, the main event: Adrian Neville, the NXT champion, against Sami Zayn. Zayn putting his career on the line in this. Okay, you know why I love wrestling and still do this at age 39 and somehow commit upwards of like eight to ten hours of my week watching this stuff because of simple and relatable storytelling that tugs on your emotions and penetrates your feel spot. Right, that should be like a tagline. This match, I picked it for that reason. It's so simple, the booking and the narrative, and it's so perfectly executed. Quick backstory, Zayn had two title chances against Neville, his good friend, in a one-on-one -on -one match in a fatal four-way. In both matches, he didn't go for the kill because Neville was either injured or the second time faked an injury and got outsmarted. So we get to a point where they show that perfect video package to set you up, and they're telling an incredible story here. Zayn can't pick the, win the big one because he's too nice and he doesn't have the killer instinct. So now he puts his career on the line to finally give himself the motivation that he needs. It's like not the first time you've seen this angle. You've seen it a hundred of times. But the, the expression and emotion that Zayn shows when he's allowed to be pushed as a main event guy is ultimately what put this over and really sold it. There's this moment in this video package where Neville's like, I'm your friend, but I won't be held responsible for your career. That's your burden to carry. And then Zane, to his credit, comes back with this. This is where I go wrong every single time. They say he's got to be the good guy and show the respect. It's not about respect between you and me. Do you understand that? Epic. He slapped the crap out of Neville. Nick, that's just the setup to this match. What did you feel about? What did you, did you catch any feels in this? I mean, it's a sensational match. Sensational. And I know we're going to give our ratings coming. It's close to a five-star match for me. Like, it was awesome. I, I don't know. I think the ending sort of dovetails in well with the previous storyline told. As a standalone ending, I don't know that it necessarily, like, like you almost need to see the other matches to really appreciate the ending with the ref bump and Zayn sort of wondering, what should I do here in this spot? Hits him with the halluva kick, and Zayn goes over and wins the belt, and then afterwards, Kevin Owens turns on his good friend, uh, Sami Zayn. And really, like, they do that ending at the end of NA, every NXT TakeOver, like some dastardly heel turn when, like, they're about to go off the air, apparently, but... That's neither here. No, I've, it's Gargano and Ciampa, and it's this. I, yeah, I've never seen that any other time. Well, I mean, they did it with, I guess, with Adam Cole thing, sort of. I guess that's different. It wasn't like... A turn. That wasn't a turn. It wasn't against, a turn. Yeah. Um, it's more noteworthy for me, almost for what hasn't happened, than what has happened. Sami Zayn is such a good wrestler. Neville is such a good wrestler. 
Sami Zayn is buried on SmackDown. Neville is buried for what his skill level is as the Cruiserweight Champion. Now, if you're going to give Neville the Cruiserweight belt, like, the Cruiserweight division should mean something. Not just an assortment of, of international stars that, that Enzo attaches lame nicknames to, but it should matter in the way that Rey Mysterio mattered and Juventud Guerrera mattered and Psychosis mattered in WCW back 20 years ago. Not this hodgepodge of guys who, who aren't getting over and aren't, frankly, given the opportunity to get over. It just shows you they're wasting Neville. They're wasting Sami yes. Zayn because this match was so damn good. And if given the opportunity, both of these guys and others, one of whom we've discussed in the show already, Dolph Ziggler, were given the opportunity to shine like this, there's absolutely no doubt that they could carry the baton. That's part of the reason why I picked this guy. I keep saying Adrian because that was his name then. And that's who he is, right? Here's how he was presented in NXT as a short, stocky, muscular, badass chain wrestler who's gritty. And by the way, happens to be able to do incredible athletic moves. That's like the cherry on top that will blow your mind when he breaks out this red arrow. But look how he's presented on the main roster as a mascot, as a superhero, as a party favor who only does the red arrow. And by the way, also can do a couple other things. When you take somebody's gimmick, and that's the whole point I made about Bobby Roode on SmackDown, his whole character on SmackDown is the robe in the glorious song. At NXT, he was a badass wrestler who happened to have a badass song and a badass gimmick. It's like inverted. And when you invert it, you ruin the soul of the character. This match ruled and this buildup ruled because we saw Sami Zayn and Adrian Neville as shoot wrestlers, shoot combat sports athletes who had moral dilemmas. Zayn was so mad at himself for not being able to find the killer instinct that he put his career on the line. It's like storytelling, guys. Wrestlers booked to be their true selves. The common denominator, once again, is this is Triple H on the book in NXT. Give Triple H the book in real life. But real quick shout out, Zane's seated springboard moonsault was unreal. You have the double ref bump at the end. Zane has some moral dilemmas. He passes it. He gets the victory. After the match, they do the big celebration in the ring. Adam, it's like NXT memorable memory lane here. It's like Enzo Cast, Ty Dillinger, Carmella, Kalisto, Charlotte, Tyler Breeze, Alexa, Dana, Bailey. American Alpha, on and on. Elias Sampson's in there. Pat Patterson's in there. This would talk about a tug on your emotions because they set you up with the confetti falling from the roof. KO comes in and gives a false moment like he might attack. No, they hug. And did you see how hard Adam KO hugged him? That he actually busted his nose back open. They hug so hard. And talk about setting your emotions up with that kind of party that you're like, this is finally Zane's moment. So it's funny. When you picked this, I didn't necessarily know what the main event was like at the time, and, and I didn't remember the situation. What I recalled while I was watching it is I stopped watching NXT once it got taken off, whatever it was, USA Network, or it was on cable TV for a while, got taken off, and then it was put on WWE.com, and then the WWE Network. I didn't watch any of that. And then someone said to me, there's this guy, Kevin Owens, who's making his debut in NXT. You should watch this Our Evolution show that's coming up. That's the first NXT show of the new generation that I ever watched, and I have not missed a single show since because of that card and that match and that finish. That match was incredible, and the turn at the end, like Nick said, you have the Gargano Ciampa that just happened. This was even better because you had the entire backstory of Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, best friends. They told you the story before he even got there. And then they paid it off immediately and turned him heel right off the bat. All right, let's get our. Yeah. He with that. By the way, just that bump. He did the same bump to Jericho at the Festival of Friendship, where yep. he does the power bomb and he lands him. Huh, shoot, 
How does that not break the back of your neck and your in the back of your head? Like that's such a vicious spot. It's like that was the perfect way to capitalize it. Once again, blood dripping down KO's face as he walks up the ramp like a psychopath. Perfect timing, right? He just did that to Mr. McMahon last week. This couldn't like this is who he is supposed to be. And this was the best time in NXT. Was very happy to go back down memory lane and relive this. All right, so our five-star ratings here. Silver King, what do you got? Uh, it's four and a half stars for me. Uh, top quality match. I mean, there's really, you're picking nits at this point. I didn't like really the finish. You know, the whole stuff with the ref bump and he had the chair. I understand it was part of the story, but it slowed down what was an incredibly fast-paced and incredibly exciting match. And if you're going to slow it down for me, you're not going to get five stars like in Omega Okada where it's fast-paced. Basically, once you hit the midpoint, all the way through the finish. So, 4.5. I would also go four and a half here for the same reason Silver King did. Unless, like, you really, like, were invested in this feud and you watch the finish, it might seem a little wonky to you. Maybe it gets goes up to 4.3, 4.75, excuse me, or 5, if you've got that backstory. But I don't think there's anything wrong with calling a match four and a half stars. It was tremendous. I'm going to go 4.75, which, by the way, that's what Dave Meltzer did give for this as well. And I'm going to include the end of that as part of the overall match because such a buildup of emotions to see Sammy finally get to the point. And you think you're going in that direction. And then KO comes in and squashes that. And the payoff for this, by the way, came at the next takeover card in February, two months later, KO wins the title when Zayn can't continue. There was a whole concussion angle during that match. Do you know, this was the time where I fell in love with NXT because once again, yep. it was presented as real. So it, it's, it stinks that NXT is going through a reloading period now. It doesn't feel like this anymore. But anybody that missed out on the late 2014, early 2015 run of NXT, this was the peak, 4.75 stars. All right, I guess that's on me now to announce next week's pay-per-view rewind match. So with the death of Bobby the Brain Heenan, I've sort of had to change where I was going here because I had a match planned. I don't want to reveal it because I've been sitting on it for a while now. And the next time I get the chance to do it, I will make that match the pay-per-view rewind match. So that will come next. But since the brain passed away, I felt like it was important to honor his memory with what I consider to be the greatest commentary job done during one single match in the history of professional wrestling and my favorite commentary ever during one particular wrestling match. Now that match is the Royal Rumble from 1992. It's an hour long, about an hour long, so it's a little bit of a time investment. If you've never seen it, it's by far the best Royal Rumble of all time, with by far the most star power that a Royal Rumble's ever had. We're talking Flair, we're talking Hogan, we're talking Savage, we're talking The Undertaker, and many others. And it features Bobby the Brain Heenan stumping audibly and vocally for an hour for the Nature Boy Ric Flair in absolutely hilarious fashion. And of course, the big storyline with this match was because of The Undertaker and Hulk Hogan and the way that the belt had changed hands. Jack Tunney, then WWF president, held up the belt <laughs> and the winner of the 1992 Royal Rumble, for the first time ever, the winner of the Royal Rumble, would win the WWF championship. The match itself is great. The ending is absolutely spectacular. The star power is through the roof, but I want you... Dear listener, to watch this match coming up this week for next week's In This Corner, not just for the match, not just for the star power, not just for the finish, but for the verbal, verbose, vocal stylings of the legendary, the greatest of all time, operating at the height of his powers, Bobby the Brain Heenan, pay-per-view rewind for next week, the 1992 Royal Rumble. And if you're a big Skinner, Mark, or like the Repo Man, Steve this is Kern. your time. for right Lo loves, loves Steve Kern. 
Uh, so yeah, 1992 Royal Rumble. So here's the deal. I got to get the hell out of here. So I'm going to give you guys my feel spot. Then you guys are going to wrap the show. My feel spot this week, I was going to go with the Singh brothers, but I said it already. I thought Rusev, after beating Randy Orton in that 10-second impromptu match on SmackDown, gave a hilarious backstage interview where he said Rusev number one over and over again. And if you guys have noticed, Rusev has started to get face heat, even though he's a heel, because I think the fans really respect who he is as a performer. Just give him Lana back and, and, and let him be a little goofy as well in addition to being the Rusev Futriev, Rusev Machka, badass heel. There's a lot of potential here with my guy Rusev. He made me laugh. That is my feel spot for this week. I'll go next because we mentioned Neville kind of getting buried here um, on in the Cruiserweight division, and there's an opportunity uh, that they kind of, you know, gave us a glimpse of where they had the Cruiserweight guys interact with the main roster. We saw Braun Strowman run through Neville just like a freight train going through a cat. Like, he just took him absolutely out. Then he manhandled him, through, threw him through the ropes, uh, and just dominated him in the ring. Then you had him and Neville pass by each other. And Neville, by the way, he might be short, but he's a you know buff dude. Um, and he's looking up at Braun like, I don't want none of this. Like it was The entire segment was great. It was a really good moment. And it just shows that you can have the cruiserweight division and the main roster interact. And you can have them do a lot more than just look at each other and, and have Braun Strowman run through Enzo Amore. You can actually have them wrestle. You can put Neville in the intercontinental title picture. Maybe have him beat the Miz and have to give up the cruiserweight belt. There's a lot of things you can do, but they showed us that it's possible here. I mean, we always knew it was possible. They showed it. They showed us that it can work here, and I just love that entire segment. Yeah, crossing streams. That's what it's all about <laughs> there. And this week, they kind of did the same thing on NXT, and that's my feel spot. It was last week's episode, of course. We record these on Wednesday, so a week ago, what was formerly known as Red Dragon in, in Ring of Honor, this new Ring of Honor faction, made another big attack. It was at the end of the NXT episode after United Kingdom champ Pete Dung defended his title against Wolfgang and Adam Cole, baby. Bobby O'Reilly, I'm sorry, Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly, the new trio, came in and they attacked Pete Dunn, and then Wolfgang sort of came to to even though even though uh, Dunn is his rival, came to try to attack, and he got taken down to try to defend. And I love the sort of message that it sent, right? That these guys are sort of doing the real Hall and Nash invasion angle here. They're not being talked about as part of NXT or that we sign them as part of storylines. They're only showing up to attack people. They did it to McIntyre at the Takeover. They did it two weeks later on NXT, and now they're doing it again. And by doing it to a UK champion. I don't think this means that we're setting up for a Adam Cole, Pete Dunn feud. I think it just means that these guys are here to leave their mark and leave and, and you know, leave a make a giant statement on people. And they're willing to attack anybody. Now, Silver King, real quick, you hit me up when this happened and said, maybe you got some fears that they're a little bit too small. And they they, they give you that. But they almost become maybe it's because they attack in sort of an MMA style. They're almost like ninjas when they come in there. And I love the street clothes that they that they carry out these beatings with. Yeah, I mean, I'm not hating on this group. Uh, it, it seems to be a good group. I think they're being called the Undisputed Era, which is obviously a terrible, oh, a terrible name. Awesome. But like there's no big man there and you don't have to have a shield with a Roman Reigns and you don't have to have uh, an NWO with a Kevin Nash as a big man. But guess what? Scott Hall and Hulk Hogan weren't tiny dudes. Like, in their own right, they were big. So there has to be someone that's not cruiserweight weight in this group for them to really terrorize people because otherwise they can't terrorize the AOP. They, can't, they shouldn't be able to terrorize Sanity. Um, Drew McIntyre, if he gets one other person to tag with him, in theory, they shouldn't be able to terrorize them. So there's got to be something to just them being smart and aggressive 
Because all three dudes, like, you see them standing in the ring together, they're all basically the same height and the same weight. So I need a little bit more in this group, and I hope that they deliver it. Because most times when you see a group debut, it's not the final formation of the group. There's usually an extra piece or two that they add, you know, as it goes on. You saw it with DX, you saw it with NWO, and you've seen it with plenty of other factions in the past. So that's my issue with it right now. That's a fair point. Right away, I'm like, you know, already getting my booking hat on. I'm like, well, maybe they can hire Heavy Machinery or the Ely Brothers as like their muscle that don't talk. But then I started to think, look, Four Horsemen, not comparatively to the Giants of the 80s, not that big. And NXT is a smaller man's territory. Like every anytime an NXT guy makes a leap to WWE, it's like you need to see them against a full size. You know, this is the old David Shoemaker point. I need to see him in there against like Randy Orton, a full size guy to see if they're actually <laughs> believable to be big enough in that spot. You know, Finn Balor can pull it off with the aerial moves and the and the unique look, but it's sort of that's a good point. I just think that there's a smaller territory. Maybe they can pull it off with these martial arts moves and with this fact that while Fish and O'Reilly have a sort of like angered look on their face, Cole's giving you the evil grin every time. So it shows that he's the mastermind. It shows that we have big business ahead. Well, you can slide in our DMs for the future at B Campbell CBS, at B Costos, at Silverstein Adam. And you know, Adam, we started the show with the great Bobby Heenan promo in, as a tribute to him. And if Bobby right now is listening to this episode, this might be his reaction. It's great television history. I've never seen a match like this on television. I've never seen anything like this. This surpasses a Super Bowl, World Series, <laughs> anything you want to name. This is tremendous. And of course, we used that sound in our first episode of Pay-Per-View Rewind. That's that slop Super Bowl that WCW rolled out that time with that awful doomsday cage match. But seriously, RIP to the great Bobby Heenan. And be sure to check out our bonus episode later this week with the face that runs the place, the champ that runs the camp. Right. That's that's the nickname. That's the corny nickname. He stole from hey, we'll just call him the phenomenal. Right. A J Styles. Adam, for our good friend, Nick Costos, we are going to go. Two words for the people. Uh, be out.